0: What's up, Crypt Nation? Bryce and mind here coming at you from San Diego. And today's podcast is sponsored by the one and only eToro. You know, we see eToro everywhere in the crypto industry. But Pete, what actually even is eToro? eToro is a platform where you can buy crypto with confidence. Right. And then even beyond uh, that,
1: you know, they have an awesome suite of technical indicators and some really smart tools. If you're not ready to put money in the market yet, they have a virtual simulator so you can play with up to $100,000 of play money while you learn etoro is an outstanding platform that's been around since 2007 and offered crypto assets since 2013 so they know what they're doing they have over 10 million users spread across 140 countries
0: crypt nation not all platforms are created equal so go to crypto101podcast.com slash etoro sign up and see the difference for yourself Uh, guys send us a dm on twitter let us know what you think and yeah without further ado we're gonna jump into the episode
2: all right, Jack, uh, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you here. Well, Bryce, uh, Bryce and mind thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So so you're running product over at Cosmos Tindermint, um, which is probably the most cutting edge inter-blockchain communication technology out there. So I'm going to say typically we we get to know you first, but before even that, like, let's just break down what is inter-blockchain communication and, you know, why is a product like Cosmos Tendermint needed in the space? Yeah, absolutely.
2: I think for me personally, when I look at the blockchain space, you kind of look back and you see Bitcoin and then then this next round of Ethereum and Bitcoin is just the most basic cryptocurrency out there. You know, it, it just, it maintains this ledger. It's UTXO based. It's very complex and it's pretty slow. Ethereum adds programmability on top of that, but obviously we've seen the issues with scalability in Ethereum. But what this sounds like to me is the early days of computing. First, we had the initial computers, and then we made larger and larger supercomputers. Um, that's kind of like Ethereum. And how did we scale computing beyond that? We connected the computers and made them talk to each other. So that's mm-hmm. exactly what IBC or inter-blockchain communication does. And it does so in a way very similar to the TCP IP stack. Um,
0: yeah. Can, can you break down uh, the TCP IP
2: stack for those of us uh, that aren't familiar with that? Yeah, absolutely. I was, that was the next question there. Um, <laughs> so the TCP IP stack is basically a, it's w- what it's called in technical terms is a layered connection protocol. So down at the bottom layer, your computer, in order to use this, needs to have some hardware primitives. It needs to be like plugged into an Ethernet connection or have Wi-Fi enabled. And then above that, you know, the operating system needs to have certain, um, fulfill certain protocols. And then once those things are fulfilled, two computers can kind of shake hands, establish a trusted communication channel, and then start sending data across that channel. And, And that's how all communication, that's that's how we're talking right now, and that's how all HTTP and TCP IP communication happens on the internet right now. Um, IBC is very similar. The two blockchains need to have some basic primitives. These are consensus primitives. Um, so things like fast finality and, you know... I'm throwing a lot of terminology here, and, and I know we've got some time here, so we can kind of dig into a bit more of this. But
0: yes, yeah, so, so I guess at the, at a high level, the problem that uh, inter-blockchain communication is solving is like I can't send you know one Ethereum over to yeah. a Bitcoin address, and I can't send you know I can't have my EOS uh, decentralized applications mesh with my Ethereum applications. So you know, what's the vision and what's the mission of you know protocols like Tendermint
2: Cosmos? Yeah, absolutely. It's to unlock this value that's locked up in all these silos like EOS and Ethereum and and Bitcoin and allow it to kind of flow throughout the ecosystem. And we're really starting to see the emergence of these decentralized finance protocols and and the emergence of staking and the ability to use these assets for things besides just hodling them in order to do that, you need to have these chains be able to talk to each other and transfer value and assets between them. Like Bitcoin is great for security and holding value, and it's what brought, I think, everyone that I know, and me included, into this space. But I'd love to be able to lend my Bitcoin out in a trustless fashion or be able to issue derivatives on top of it and potentially profit from those as well. So if you're looking at what's happening in decentralized finance and Ethereum, there's a lot of very exciting work being done in the decentralized finance space in Cosmos too. So um, this world where these blockchains can send data and value between them opens up many more possibilities for financial composability, I think.
1: Bryce and I used to work for a blockchain oracle and thinking about interblockchain blockchain communication is something I did for 12 hours a day for several months. Oh yeah. And it's really fascinating because you have all these different oracles out there that kind of specialize in one thing but the oracles don't talk to each other that would be like google talking to yahoo and they're very isolated right now and search engines never figured it out but i'm hoping that somewhere along the line blockchain oracles do and we could have applications let's say for example major league baseball has uh, iot sensors that detect the weather at every stadium And then those IoT sensors could trigger a smart contract that says, hey, it's going to rain, which would then query the actual weather report from the internet and see, oh yeah, it is predicted. It's going to rain and it looks like it's going to rain out the game. Let's send another smart contract call to the commissioner of Major League Baseball through email and say, hey, this game's going to get rained out. Do you want to cancel it and refund all the tickets? And with one click of a button, he could then trigger another smart contract call, which triggers the payment systems from Ticketmaster and Live Nation and MLB.com and all these places, refund 35,000 tickets in one click of a button. So, this is something that requires interblockchain communications to take place for all these things. And it's yeah. going to be an amazing world once uh, all this gets built. But uh, right now, we're still very much at the ground floor. But that's why this is so important. I
2: I totally agree with you. And when I first found Cosmos, I I, you know a little bit of background for me. I came to Cosmos through this company called Blockstack, uh, which is based in New York. They do sort of digital identity on top of the Bitcoin blockchain. They recently did a a Reg A plus filing, and and Blockstack is still an ongoing concern and and definitely an active company in the space. But seeing the vision of something broader than just Bitcoin. And the ability to synthesize a lot of this new technology, really exciting technology that's being developed in the blockchain space, and not just hold on tightly to just this sort of Bitcoin idea, and the ability to interoperate on top of that, that, that's something that was extremely compelling to me, and and it's why I've spent the last couple of years building this.
1: Very cool. So can you tell the audience very briefly, what's the difference between Cosmos Network and Tendermint? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Tendermint
2: is the consensus. Tendermint means a few different things, but Tendermint's the name of the company I work for, first off. Um, it was the fundamental consensus algorithm breakthrough that our founder, Jay Quan made in a paper back in, I think it's 2014. Um, and he basically took a bunch of academic research from the 80s and 90s on BFT or Byzantine Fault Tolerant uh, Consensus Protocols basically making computers agree with each other when you can't trust the computers, and updated it. And then he and our co-founder, Ethan Buckman, along with a group, built the first implementation of Tendermint, which is essentially the peer-to-peer networking, storage, and the consensus algorithm for a generic blockchain. You can build proof-of-work type constructions on top of it. You can build various different kinds of -of proof-of-stake systems on top of it. But that's been out there since around 2015, 2016. It's in use in a number of different blockchain projects. Loom Network is the first one that comes to mind that's based on top of Tendermint. But in the enterprise blockchain space, there's a ton of stuff. One of the Hyperledger uh, products called Hyperledger Burrow is actually based on top of Tendermint as well. So Tendermint is kind of this pretty broadly adopted consensus algorithm within the blockchain space. and. People use it to talk about both the consensus algorithm as well as the implementation that we maintain in Go. So that's what Tendermint is. And then Cosmos Network is this vision of using IBC or this interblockchain communication piece to connect these different Tendermint chains and allow them to transfer value and data between them. And in order to enable that, we've been building what you can think of as Ruby on Rails. Are you guys familiar with Ruby on Rails? Yes, I'm not. Okay, so uh, Ruby on Rails was this Web 2.0 framework that basically gave you a really convenient way as a developer to build a database website. And it had automatic database hookups, and you wrote routes, and there was a lot of code generation. And it was this framework that really enabled a lot of sites like Twitter and really the whole Web 2 revolution between 2005 and 2015 a lot of those sites were based on Rails. And what Rails did is built this really on Rails developer experience for this specific set of technologies. And that's what we're trying to do with the Cosmos SDK as well. Um, I I like to think of it as Ruby on Rails for blockchains. How do we make it as easy as possible for developers to build their own blockchain-based applications um, and then extend those as well? And that's that's what the Cosmos SDK is, and that will enable a lot more of these blockchains to kind of connect with each other. Because when you're building an application on top of Tendermint, it is a little bit difficult. There's non-traditional semantics for developers. And what the SDK does is basically make it much more similar to other things that they've worked with. If you're a developer and you've ever written HTTP handlers and uh, REST calls, there's a lot of similarity to that within the Cosmos SDK when you're writing transactions and gotcha. transaction. Oh,
1: so, so, yeah. so Tendermint is another uh, consensus algorithm, which we have a lot of in this space. It seems like people continue to reinvent this wheel to be rounder and rounder and with smoother bearings in it. At some point, are we going to just say, okay, this one's better than all the rest and everyone just migrates to it? Is that what the, the ultimate goal is? I mean,
2: I think, you know, IBC doesn't care about what consensus algorithm you have. There's a set of consensus primitives you need, one of them being finality. So uh, just to explain finality real quick, if you're familiar in Bitcoin and Ethereum with proof of work, the way mining works, if, you, if your block only has one or zero confirmations, there is a chance that it could be uncled, or the chain could be a small fork and your transaction doesn't get included. So I you would, would, be, say,
0: would you be able to break down those terms real quick? Uncle uh, and uh,
2: forked for the, for the audience. Yeah. So in proof of work, the miners are finding these complex hashes that have a bunch of zeros on the front, and they're always mining the longest chain with the most work. So, and when the blocks get propagated around, um, sometimes there's a delay, sometimes miners find... Blocks roughly at the same time, and they're transmitted around the network. And then the block that ends up becoming part of the canonical chain is different from the one that you thought it was. That's a terrible job of explaining that. Did, does that kind of explain it a little bit better? What should I dig into there?
0: Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Basically, uh, you know, I think we're painting the picture here that like consensus is a messy a messy thing, right? Like it's not always so clear cut until you have finality. And so many people could maybe find the right answer to the block, but, and get that block reward, or I guess only one, one miner gets that block reward that gets committed okay. to the chain. But, um, but there's delays, right? Because everybody yes. needs to propagate
2: that to the entire, into, to every full node, right? Yeah. And then there's a chance that in a proof of work chain, there's a chance that there's a chain reorganization and that right. block is not included right so or, yeah a, a chain reorg let's break
0: down a chain reorg these are all, like, these are terms that uh, you know we haven't really introduced very much in crypto 101. so yeah it's it's super helpful.
2: yeah for sure. so a, a chain reorganization is when one miner finds a block with a lot more work on it that's in a fork of the blockchain and, and that's <laughs> how to break that down. So a fork is when one set of miners think that a certain set of blocks is authoritative and another set of miners thinks another set of blocks is authoritative. And it's based on the amount of work on top of them as well as network delay sometimes. And the
0: the blocks, um, you know, these are what, uh, you know, block is a data structure that houses all of the transactions. So it's extremely important that, you know, Bitcoin or any, any, um, you know, any, uh, yeah, any proof of work chain, you know, you want to make sure all the transactions are in order, right? Because if they're, if they're out of order, then, you know, the, it doesn't, then the ledger doesn't mean
2: anything, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, you need to make sure they're in order and you can only be very, very sure about that order after a certain number of blocks have been stacked on top of the block that contains your transaction.
0: Because there's an attack, right? Where you could like an attack on a, on a Bitcoin network would be somebody trying to um, reorganize. reorganize.
2: How would that happen? How do people do that? You would have to put in a lot of, uh, this is what happens in 51% attacks. So the, attacking miners would go onto the chain and start mining at a block that was below the tip of the chain and they would find blocks and then create a network with more work on older blocks. Mm. And then the nodes that were all connected to that network would say, Oh, this chain has more work on it. We're going to go mine on that chain. And then that would orphan whatever piece of the chain was being like the, the sort of authoritative piece that was being mined for a while. So this is how a 51% attack works. And it's, so in, in order to protect against that, you're waiting for a certain number of blocks for finality or confirmation, a number of confirmations. Um, if you've ever sent Bitcoin or Ethereum, you're, you're probably familiar with this term, especially to and from exchanges. They're, you know, Binance confirmation. 20, 20 confirmations or whatever. But on a Tendermint chain, as soon as a transaction is included in a block, it's final. There's no chain reorganizations. And that's because the way the consensus algorithm works is just fundamentally different from proof of work. So that's one of the things that a consensus algorithm needs in order to be able to transmit over IBC finality. The other one is succinct like client proofs. Um, in blockchain based systems, the whole database or all of the data in the system. They basically hash it up to a very succinct hash that you can then prove that no one's messed with the state, basically. And every new block that's added, there's a new hash, and that's the state of the system. And newer blockchains and most of the proof-of-stake blockchains can offer these succinct state proofs or like-client proofs that you can then go down and prove that different data is in there and, and is accurate. So those are the two things that you need to be able to connect to IBC and almost all of the different BFT implementations that we've seen, like Hot Stuff, which Facebook in the first page of their white paper explicitly says is based on Tendermint. And if if you understand how the consensus algorithms work, it's Tendermint has like five different steps to it um, where there's different voting rounds and the nodes are essentially agreeing on who gets to propose the next block and then they commit the next block there's a small difference in one of those voting rounds that is the difference between Tendermint and hot stuff. So the, the family of consensus algorithms is BFT and and, and that's Byzantine kind of fault tolerance. Yeah. And that's kind of the fundamental breakthrough that the Tendermint brought was productionizing this Byzantine fault tolerance and allowing it to be run over public networks. Very you know, cool. Yeah. So that's, and,
0: and, and, and tell me, so they in the cosmos. They have uh, a token or you guys have a token called Atom. Is that correct? Yeah.
2: Yes, it is. So how does, how does the Atom token work? So if we're thinking about this world with thousands of blockchains and they're all connected to each other, how do how has the internet ended up working? There's some stuff at the edge of it. And then there's these hubs that route larger amounts of data. So, we're building this system that allows arbitrary blockchains to sort of transfer data between each other. And we envision this as evolving into kind of a hub and spoke type system. So we've built a blockchain that will be able to route large numbers of transactions, be able to act as a hub for a number of other blockchains. And that's called the Cosmos hub. And that hosts the atom and the atom is predominantly a staking token. Um, So, In order to get security in the network, you need to stake these tokens with the validators. And that's, without going into way too much detail here, the consensus happens via this stake-weighted vote, i.e. the amount of atoms you have tells how many votes you have within this consensus system.
0: So for those of us listening here... um, you know, proof of work. It's kind of like you know whoever whoever has the most hash power, right? Whoever has the most hardware gets to decide, or it gets a better chance of deciding, you know, uh, the the or committing the blocks, right, and ordering the transactions on the network. Yeah. But in a proof of stake system, it's not about how much hash power you have and how much hardware you've committed to the network to secure the network. Instead, it's how much
2: you know cash you're willing to put up. Yeah, exactly. And you can think about Proof-of-work mining is kind of like an arms race dynamic. If you want more hash power, you go out and buy more miners, and and then that gives you a larger share in the network, and then other people will go out and buy more miners in response to that. Um, In proof-of-stake, it's much more like a cap table in a company. And your percentage ownership is how many votes you get when making decisions in the network. That makes
1: a lot of sense. So speaking of... um cap tables let's transition over to talk about business for a little bit you know we're, we're just yeah. emerging from a very very bitter bear market that uh, has seen a lot of blood and misery but it looks like it's getting better now uh, while everyone goes through these tough times what are some red flags that signal it's time to bail on a business or a business idea
2: hmm. that's a great question
1: because often uh, you know we see these roadmaps that are laid out at ICO time and at some point, you know, especially during a bear market, a company decides to pivot and people start to freak out. They say, you know, what are you guys doing? This is not what we bought in for. But pivot is natural
3: our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should, too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues and other personal needs. So your plan works for you. First-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
4: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable.
0: And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
1: Absolutely essential to survival. You have to see what's going on in the world around you. But also as an investor, you have to kind of think, you know, is this better or is this panic? You know, what are some red flags to, to show the difference?
2: Yeah. For me, it all comes back to users. You know, you have to get out there in the market, get your product in front of users, and get that validation from people actually picking your product up and using it for what you want to use it for. And if you've built something and you're working on it for a while and no one's using it, that's generally a fairly good signal that you might be walking down the wrong direction. Um, so... That's, to me, the the kind of metric that, that I would tell people to look at is how many, how many people are using it, and are they finding it useful, and is it helping them meet their objectives that, that you say the software helps them do? So I think a lot of the pivots that we see in the blockchain space are driven by that. There's a lot of money floating around, but a lot of it's kind of speculative, A, and it's there's not a lot of users, so it's, it is kind of a hard thing for a lot of projects. We've been lucky that the vision that we have for the future seems to be what people are converging towards. We have a lot of users on the SDK and on Tendermint, and that helps us prioritize features moving forward and figure out what to give those users, because we can actually get feedback from them. So. Yeah, that's what I'd say there. Interesting. Uh,
0: you know, where where do you find that most people are interacting with Cosmos? Like, is it an average consumer that could just, you know, go to t- tendermintcosmos.com or whatever and start interacting with it and playing around and it's pretty user-friendly? Or is it at the stage where it's just mostly developers building out this, you know, base layer
2: infrastructure and applications are have yet to be built? That's a great question. So, uh, we have a number of different user groups. So I would say the, the first user group that, that found us and that we went out and kind of built up was validators. So just like in proof of work networks, there needs to be computers that actually run this stuff. And the role in the Cosmos network is called a validator. It's not a minor. And those folks run a computer and they have to keep one private key that they're using to sign these blocks and add transactions to the network, secret. And that's kind of the hard part of doing that. I validate on the Cosmos Hub. There's a number there's hundred other folks who do as well, and then there's around 70 or 80 of them waiting to join the consensus set. And we have a really strong validator community. Uh, Those folks are highly technical, are used to running web services online, and understand security very well. So that's not your average end user. The next group of users that we found is developers, application developers. And those folks are using the Cosmos SDK that we build to build their own chains. And that's folks like Binance and True Story. And I'm going to think of a bunch of other projects, but I'll just say those two for now Mm -hmm. um, that are using this SDK, this Ruby on Rails for blockchains to build their own sovereign chains and create applications on top of that. Generally the end users, the folks that you're talking about, and obviously when we're here in crypto, like the important part is adoption and how do we get more and more users using this thing. And those projects are the ones who are kind of on the front line of users. Another one is Lino network that has a video streaming platform. Um, Speaking of users, they've got a ton of folks (laughs) using their chain. Yeah, so I'm
0: kind of I'm interested in hearing a little bit more about you know the business model behind Tendermint, uh, in the sense that you know it's an open source project, um, you know what do you monetize
2: and what is the business model there? Yeah, that's a great question. So to start off, we the company's funded through a fundraiser that we did back in 2017. We still have a lot of cash left over from that, and that continues to fund operations. So we do have a pretty sufficient amount of runway to figure out a business model. Um, Initially, the business model is we have a founder's share of atoms at the company. Um, The company that I work for, Tendermint, has 10% and then the uh, ICF, or the Interchain Foundation, which is the Swiss Foundation, which is mandated to grow the overall interchain ecosystem. They do grants and and stuff like that. We're we're a for-profit company. So increasing the value of atoms and bringing more utility to the Cosmos hub in, in the short run will pay dividends for us. In the long run, we're building this framework for building blockchain applications, and we are by far the most expert in understanding and building applications in that. So offering services on top of that in, in helping other businesses who want to build their own blockchains and want to join this interchain or the the IBC network, um, consulting, and then yeah, so that that's that's kind of the business model right now, and and we're just beginning to enter into business relationships with with some folks.
1: Sounds pretty par for the course for the blockchain industry. But going back to users, do you think we're just months away from, as an industry, just from your vantage point, do you think we're months or years away from really having user friendly products with good user experiences because. From where we sit, it seems like a lot of just the very base layer infrastructure still being built out and I, like you mentioned, um, you know cosmos network is just basically a hub for blockchain communication, the way uh, you know the global network was the way concentric was back in the 90s just adding more um, you know optical carrier lines to make the internet faster.
2: Well to answer this question I, I think we kind of have to go look back and see why are we building infrastructure right now. During the 2017 boom and during the 2013 boom, we saw Bitcoin and then Bitcoin and Ethereum fill up during those two booms. And like the way that the space scaled was by spinning up copies of Bitcoin and Ethereum and selling shitcoins to people who didn't know any better. And that's not a great way to scale. We need to figure out a way to really allow people all over the world to enter this sort of decentralized trustless ecosystem and have it work for them. And the types of technology that are needed to do that are the the types of things that we're building, these fast finality chains that you can connect together and really take some of the load off of those underlying proof-of-work chains that are very slow, but have great security Mm -hmm. and really help build this narrative around blockchains. So in the next adoption cycle that we see, I think we're going to see a lot of the scaling technology actually being deployed. We're going to get IBC. We just finished the 1.0 version of the spec. There's a bunch of uh, audits coming up this fall. We've got a series of incentivized test nets, and it can chat about that if that's interesting, this fall. And we will likely see it deployed on the Cosmos hub sometime later this year, early next year, and... There's a bunch of other blockchains. All of the other blockchains who are built on top of the Cosmos SDK will be able to import IBC and immediately hook up to the network. So, and there's other scaling technologies that are reaching higher levels of maturity than they were during the last boom. So, yeah, I, I was going to say, is there any overlap in, in what Tendermint is doing with
0: like the Lightning Network, for instance, or Polkadot? I think most people are familiar with the Lightning Network at a high level. That it's you know Bitcoin's layer two solution. But is there any similarities or differences there?
2: State channels is definitely one way to do inter-blockchain communication and transfer assets between chains, as well as do more micro payments. You can build state channel-like solutions on top of Tendermint, and we do have some folks that do that. There's a company called Four State Labs that's building Plasma on top of Tendermint. And there's a wow. couple of other projects that are doing that. But yeah, we're kind of, if you remember the side chains conversation. Yeah. And drive chains and the liquid network, like, I guess. Yeah. We're kind of like a side chain. Okay. Uh, cool. Very cool. Yeah, it's, it's a framework for building side chains and then a communication layer between those chains to, to let them talk to each other and transfer value. So, I mean, that's kind of a real layer too, in a lot of ways to Bitcoin and I think Eric Meltzer has a really good tweet storm about this.
0: Ooh, I'll have to find it. (laughs) So, you know, one thing we like to do with with the guests that we bring on is just ask, you know, in closing, a few personal questions. Um, You know, who is one person in the crypto space that you really admire that's really made an impression on you? Um, And why was it, you know,
2: what are they doing? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the first person who jumps to mind for me is Eric Voorhees at ShapeShift. I I remember I got into Bitcoin. I think I bought my first Bitcoins back in late 2013 and lost a bunch of money in that. uh, (laughs) Sold too soon
0: and da 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 da.
2: Everybody has that story, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're we're so early, but we're not trillionaires yet. (laughs) Yeah, in the time between that run-up and the 2017 run-up, I taught myself to code and I had started working in software and I was working in decentralized databases for cloud stuff at the time and started looking into crypto as the space started heating up again through the 20, through the year of 2016. And I thought, man, you know what would be really cool is something where I could just change these tokens from one end to the other without having to go through this exchange and dealing with all this nonsense and then somebody showed me shapeshift and I was like this is the coolest thing I've ever seen
0: this is awesome uh,
2: and uh you know him kind of fighting to keep it and, with no KYC and contributing to the space for years and years like I I really admire the work that they've done at shapeshift and he's he was kind of the first person that jumped to mind that's very
0: awesome yeah we'll, we'll tag him in this and say uh, shout out for the uh, inspiration yeah <laughs> uh cool man uh so besides shapeshift and besides Tindermint, um what's a crypto company that you think is having like the most impact in the space something that you think that you know is is doing some of the best work who would you say that would be
2: finance I, I think finance is really an incredible job i mean
0: Talk, talk about a little bit about what they're doing. I know they came out with some new lending
1: products
2: and their new stable coins. Every and day, it seems like they're rolling everything. out something new. Yeah, it's what's really interesting to me is that they started out kind of with the Bitrex or not Bitrex, um, Bitfinex kind of wildcat banking model. Yeah. <laughs> but then they've kind of pivoted to doing regulated entities all over the world and stitching those regulatory entities together with a set of incentives with their token BNB and a decentralized exchange. One of the problems with doing a bunch of regulatory entities is liquidity pools. And obviously one of the things that everyone's after in this space right now is like, how do we get more liquidity in these, in these exchanges that we're building And Binance's answer to that is let's stitch it all together. All these regulated entities together with a decentralized exchange. Um, I think that's brilliant. And seeing them continue to execute on that strategy is just cool.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Big fan of what CZ and the crew are doing over there. Then lastly, we always ask this question and we keep asking it because we get different answers every time. And it's so good. If this is the first podcast someone getting into crypto listened to, what would you want them to know? Learn more about Bitcoin. (laughs) I like (laughs) it. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
2: I think that's what it's the most basic expression of the cryptocurrency idea. The ethos of that community, you know, there's a lot of inks built on this, but it it is still very true to the kind of original cypherpunk ideals of why we want to create these digital currencies. And if you look at what's happening in Hong Kong, and you look at what's happening in China, and the curtailment of digital freedoms around the world, and the destruction of cash everywhere we're very quickly going to be in a world where every transaction you make is tracked by large entities. So and, well said. And that's something that I think is people we need to step back, think about <laughs> and say, is that really the world that we want to live in? And for me, the answer is no. Yeah, like, no. <laughs> I, I'd like to keep this world where we can have privacy in our financial relationships with other people. And in order to do that, we're kind of building this technology. And that's I view Cosmos as fundamentally in the the vein of that. And Bitcoin was the first hugely successful cryptocurrency. So understand why people are doing this, where the space comes from, and do some reading there, and then let your research and interests guide you from there. There's a lot of exciting stuff, but the core of it is Bitcoin and will continue to be for the foreseeable future. So anyone just getting into the space... I think it's absolutely crucial that you educate yourself on that. Andre Santanopoulos is kind of the OG of yeah. learning about Bitcoin. Um, for me, as somebody who's fairly technical, he was extremely helpful for my understanding there. Uh, Mastering Bitcoin is a great book. And if you're at all technical, it will help you kind of get up and running and, and explain the Bitcoin UTXO model, which for folks familiar with traditional databases is like a little head scratchy for a while. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'd say.
0: Nice. And I'm, uh, I'm actually going to toss in a bonus question. You know, I, I kind of am curious about your personal vision for the future, you know, paint us a picture, let's call it 10 years down the line. What's the world going to look like?
2: I don't really have a great answer to that. I think that it's very fuzzy right now. And there's a lot of really promising technology that's coming out that will help us not only, scale cryptocurrency itself, but add a lot of new functionality. And I'm talking about things like zero knowledge proofs. If you look at some systems like Coda and and other kind of next generation blockchains that, that utilize zero knowledge proofs, they allow for some very cool networks with some extremely interesting security properties that could kind of replace a lot of stuff that we see now. So the pace of technological development within this space, I think makes it impossible to say like in 10 years, what is it going to look like? But I do think we can kind of trace these technologies and say like, what do we want it to look like? And I think that as I was saying a few minutes ago, like the core value of this stuff is digital cash and preserving privacy for individuals. So how do we use this technology to ensure that and steer it in the right direction where it does that? And that's, That's kind of where I'm focused, I guess. Another thing besides zero-knowledge proofs, uh, IBC. like We think that there's going to be this internet of blockchains and that these blockchains are going to connect with each other and transfer data around. How is that going to look? There's a bunch of different approaches out there. Our approach is to make it as permissionless as possible and to make it as much like the original web as possible while preserving some of the things that make blockchains great, like i.e. digital scarcity and the ability to prevent these like large DDoS and Sybil attacks through smart fee incentivization, will that catch on? Or will the kind of mo- model that Polkadot's pushing, where there's this one relay chain that holds all these other chains underneath it and it kind of controls them, so more of a top-down approach... Um, there's a couple of projects working on sharded blockchains, and that's essentially what Polkadot is. So, you know, the market's going to end up deciding this stuff. And for me, I just want to kind of keep pushing in this direction of individual liberty and, and ensure that people have the ability to transact with each other trustlessly. Um, another huge cool. kind of wild card there is key management. Right now, I think the biggest hurdle to wider adoption is better key management, social key recovery mechanisms, better user experience on top of multi-sig and Shamir's secret sharing, the ability in sort of packaged, like, I guess estate planning would be one way to put it for users. Like I, if I have a bunch of crypto, how do I store it right now? It's kind of (laughs) scary. I don't know how you guys do it, but uh, it's, you know, you kind of got to hack together a bunch of stuff and my favorite story here is I got my mom a ledger for Mother's Day this year and I was helping her set it up and she had her Apple Watch on and right when we started generating the mnemonic her Apple Watch heart rate monitor kept going off and like explaining to her that if she lost those 24 words the value that was held in this device is going to go away and you, you're not going to be able to get it back like that's a very different method of thinking for people and, and to actually take control of their money like that. It's something that's scary. And we as a space haven't done a good enough job of providing guarantees and recovery mechanisms for people. So,
1: yeah, you know, that's great insight. I mean, yeah. over here, the, the G word is, is a bad word. It's a dirty word. Like there are no guarantees in crypto, but what yeah. there could be. And I think that's one of the things that we hear from a lot of new users saying, well, what if I lose it? And they're they're really scared of having that personal responsibility. And for good reason. I mean, our industry right now is tough shit. You lost it. Yeah. <laughs> that's not great. Not very welcoming. No.
0: <laughs> well, well, Jack, this conversation, I mean, this was fascinating. We covered so many things. Um God thank you so much for coming on man and sharing
2: all your knowledge with us Yeah, absolutely any any other items before we wrap here I'd be happy to answer another couple of questions. Um, if people want to follow you on Twitter or follow Tindermint, you know you, what are the handles? Yeah, absolutely that's a great question. So we have at Cosmos on Twitter that's uh, kind of the big public announcements one. Um, at Tendermint team is for the Tendermint for-profit company as well as uh, the the consensus algorithm itself. I'm Jack underscore Zamplin on Twitter. Um, nice. Come find me, and then I'm. If you Google me, I'm Jack Zamplin pretty much everywhere on the internet, <laughs> including Telegram and there. all these other places. Uh, it's uh, it's a very unique. Not thing, a lot yeah. of Muslims out there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome, and then uh, Crypt Nation, everybody out there, if you guys want to stay in touch with us, as always, we're on Twitter. That's at Crypto One Hundred One Pod. We've got you know Facebook pages and groups where we post news alerts and all sorts of fun insight into the industry. Um, So
1: go ahead and follow us there. And now every weekday, Monday through Friday, you can find us live on younow.com slash crypto 101, where we will take your answers and just hang out with you. Yeah, it's a a pretty cool live show.
0: Um, We could bring in live guests as well. It's a really cool streaming platform. So yeah, we're there every day, 5 p.m. Pacific, uh, Monday through Friday. So come join us there. Uh, and Jack, maybe you could come join us uh, on you now, one of these days for,
2: for a little bit more conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. And uh, pizza and Bryce. Thank you guys very much. Have a good one.